much the neutral zone a star trek podcast by ladies where we talk about star trek loudly and at great length i'm your host kareem joined as ever as ever by the fantastic kim hello and the perfectly adequate ari hello she got a promotion yes she did and i'm stack quo she's she's had a rough day she (laughs) dropped tea on herself twice and you destroyed a cop so (laughs) okay pretty sure that works exactly Take your position and sit on it. <laughs> so, welcome to Season 2, Episode 9, Metamorphosis, or as we're going to call it, All Hail the Glow Cloud. All hail. So, guys, <laughs> I had a really hard time paying attention to this episode because as soon as it started, I'm like, oh wait, I remember this one. And this is one of the few original mm-hmm. series ones that I have very distinct memories of. And my very distinct memories were being furious. <laughs> And so I watched all of this episode in like a red haze mist of how much I hate this. I did it well. I remembered Zeph from Cochrane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did not remember the rest of it. Really? No memory of the rest of the episode. But last night I had some friends over and I mentioned that, you know, oh, you guys have to leave now because I have to watch Star Trek was recording a podcast tomorrow. And one of my friends started going off with, Oh, is this the one where the lady <laughs> has like dying and then she gets possessed by the thing and they become a thing and it's all of it? Yeah, it's like the only just like, did you get to that one yet? I'm like, that is the one I am watching right now. So, hello, Naomi. <laughs> this podcast is for hey, you. Naomi. <laughs> I'm incandescent with rage. Does not even <laughs> cover half of it. So here is essentially. The, the, the thesis and or mission statement of this episode. Men do their epic quests, complete their great things, and then retire after they are finished doing all of those things to a reward of love. That is their reward for being men and for having to live a good life. For women, the whole purpose of their life is to be someone's love object, and if they are not, then they have led a worthless, pointless life. Yeah, A plus, I'd agree with that. This was, I was so angry when I was watching <laughs> this. I was like, oh my god. It was terrible. This is like some of the most sexist bullshit out of all the sexist bullshit the show has ever shown. Which is at us. saying much because we have had a lot of original series episodes that have kind of danced a like sexy samba between the lines of like progressive gender kind of investigations and just straight up old-fashioned sexism well there's a thing about white men is there's certain progressivism they're comfortable with and then there's certain progressivism they're completely unable to see well this is so bizarre because this is a great episode in that we have a career woman who is respect mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to put some heavy quotation marks. Highly maybe like, I'm going to put some footnotes. Respected by other people for her position, for what yeah. she has achieved. She's a commissioner. She's an ambassador. She's on a mission. Yeah. She's angry that someone dipped up, mm-hmm. um, which is taking her away from her life's work. Yeah. And what we get is her systematically being stripped of everything that makes her herself to make her this pathetic, quivering helpless, vulnerable creature that then is swooped in and saved by love of a good man. 
Well, it's not even so much as... Well, yeah. She loses herself. She does. And, like, the other thing that really gets me here is that we have two female characters because you have the commissioner. Yes. Who, literally, I do not know her name. I just called her the commish the entire time. (laughs) Um, And you have the glow cloud, who is also a lady glow cloud. I have objections about that that I will raise later. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Just go with it. So you've got lady and lady glow cloud. And lady glow cloud's defining characteristic is obsessive love of a man, and she will be incomplete without him. Mm-hmm. That is it. That is all she has. It's not that she's lonely and she's looking for other people, and by like this, she's like, hey, I'm complete. We got another person we can go she on. She literally says, the man is the center of all. Yes. Her life's work is loving that man. Yeah. That is it. She has no other character. Nope. And again, she, it's a ball of gas. It is a glow cloud. It. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. They. They. I, I don't even know what pronouns to use correctly. I mean, there is some weird it, binary I, business that goes on. I think it's a lady glow cloud to preserve, like, all the heteronormativity <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> there is a lot of gay panic that ensues. <laughs> well, there's such... It's so weird because the entire underlying thesis of the episode is... is Oh my god, gender essentialism, women exist to serve and please men. And then there's that one weird scene where he's having alien gay panic. Yes. <laughs> and, the, yes. and then and, and our crew is going like, dude, chill, it's no big deal. <laughs> Aliens are just like that. You get used to it. And it's such a strange thing to have in the middle of an episode like this that is in so many other ways so incredibly regressive. It is. It, that is a very, very, very strange moment. In and amongst an entire yeah. fleet, an admiralty of yeah. bizarre episodes where he's freaking out because he was into it and it was inside of him and he was inside of it. Yeah. And he, and they're like, and I think McCoy's like, it's space. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like, I mean, this is the thing is, what, what did Zeph from Cochran think? Was he, do you think he was like bro communing with another bro? And then when he finds out it's a, like, oh, or, but I, you see, I don't even know about this. I actually, like, I think I figured oh, that out. Okay. So he never actually, it doesn't communicate with him. He communicates with it. It can read his mind and okay. it gives him things, but it's never actually spoken to him. So he had no idea that there was like a conscious, like, I'm sure he thought it was alive and, and conscious and probably sentient. But it never spoke to him. But you don't need to speak in order to communicate. No, but I mean, in most other forms of communication depend on body language, what, neither of which the glow cloud has. Because it's a... It's again, a I don't know if we're clear enough. It's a glow cloud. Yeah. It is a cloud that glows. It's like yeah. a cloud of glowy ionized gases. Yeah, it has its own theme music, yeah. which I thought was nice. It's yeah. got, like, glowing spots. Yeah. Yeah. It's full of electricity, Glitter. apparently. Yeah, fine. <laughs> but it never speaks to him, so he has nothing on which to form impressions. But it But they have understand. a relationship. They do. Or do they? Kind of. I do I have a relationship with this blanket? This blanket, I can communicate and it does stuff for it's me. It's like it couldn't even communicate him to the level that the dog communicates with us. Well, maybe maybe he was thinking of it like a dog. It was like, or like a dog that is, exists to bring him food. Like, I, I don't know. I think it'd be more like making friends with like a cloud of fireflies. Like you can't, there's no face. There's nothing for you to form impressions of mood or intent. You get the idea of intent, that it's benign because it, like, supplies him with food and it heals his illnesses and it keeps him alive and it provides him a shelter, but it never actually talks to him. But he does communicate 
with it. He does with it, but it doesn't with him. But we don't know that. Well, it can read his mind. We know that. Yes. But he can't read its mind. He can The only evidence he has of its intentions are the things that it does and provides for him. I think he gets a sense of it. I will. I mean, if it were most people, I think that you would start forming a notion of its personality and intent based off of nothing because you would need to in order to form like, but we don't actually know what that, that impression of his is because he doesn't explain it. He's just like, well, it's there. It gives me stuff. No, he calls it the companion. Yeah. Yeah. So he projects personality onto this. Yeah. And he, there is a symbiotic relationship between them. But it is like 90, I would say 90, upwards of 90% of projection on his part. And not a lot of it is based in fact because he gets no information directly from it. Not nearly as much anyway as it gets from him. Yeah, that's fair. It still doesn't quite explain his massive panic. No, there's a couple of times where he insists to Kirk, like, we're not going to hurt it. You can't destroy it. Does that come before he, like, they quote-unquote speak to it for the first time it comes after okay so he kind of is like hey let me show you what all this is about and he wolf whistles in his head and she comes <laughs> a scurrying mm-hmm. and envelops him in her warm gassy goodness <laughs> um and they're watching this like Huh, and then they they make a series of amazing logic jumps. Oh yeah. my like god. High yeah. jump logic mountain goat bounding of oh well it's a symbiotic relationship. Like they each get something from each other. What? This is one of Star Trek's biggest problems this season, is them just being like, Oh, I know what's going on here. Fruitcake. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Where did you get that from? They, they got are it from the, the script kid. <laughs> To be fair, they are the best that Starfleet has More offered. and more, when we watch this uh, this season, I'm reminded of the scene in the Muppet movie, you know, where they go back to the church, and they're like, so what the hell's been going on, Mr. Frog? And they produce the script, catch up. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's in the script. And then you have a minute where they redo, like, a super fast montage of the movie <laughs> so far, so that all the characters who are now on screen can catch up with the scenes they weren't in. Yeah. That's what this piece reminding me of. That's fair. I also, I would like to... S- to ask a question of both of you and you're allowed to have a pause and Ari, feel free to edit this no edit the time that it takes you guys to think of the answer for this what is love other than baby don't hurt me don't hurt me (laughs) no more what is love in what context what is love that's a question that i'm asking it's a lot of different things it depends on context yeah no just in general it is an emotion that you feel sure in the broadest possible sense. In the sense. broadest possible sense, it is an emotion that you feel. So, does he love the glow cloud? I think he feels beholden to it. Well, no, he explicitly says, don't feel sorry for me, this is what I want, I love it. But what what is love? I don't think he can love it, if that's what you're asking. Because well, he doesn't, he's just met it. <laughs> I just met you and this is crazy. Yes, but I want to point out that that song is not about true love. It's about true lust. It's about getting someone's number. Yeah. But still, it, it stands true. Like, what, what, okay, for you guys, what is your definition of romantic love? Okay, my definition of romantic love is, let me think about this for a minute. <laughs> um, it is probably having... Yeah, I guess strong love feelings for another person in such a way that 
you are improved as a person and you are able to grow and feel cherished within a relationship. I don't know if that makes any sense. Ari's I, frowning. I, 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 I think the problem is that we use the word romantic to be the be all end all definition of cert, of a certain category of love that in most ways are also, also fall into the category of deep and meaningful friendships. Yeah. But like, those, they still like romantic is how we sort of separate and elevate sometimes artificially romantic love from other kinds of love. But the, no matter what kind of love it is, romantic or otherwise, you still need to actually have met the person and communicated with them in both directions for more than, like, six minutes. I uh, know, Ari, I'm going to let you think about your definition of what like, romantic I was going to say is. way to avoid answering the question. Yeah, I, don't, I don't have an answer. I I, have I'm going to let you think about it because I want to come back to Kim's definition. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which, sorry to put you on the spot for it. So that you feel... That you improve as a person and that you're better with them. And again, I, I really like Ari's point is that friendship. Yes. Like a long-term friendship or companionship, dare I say. Yes. Like that is a type of love. Um, I make a dist- I think I make a distinction between the friendship and the romantic in... The amount of French kissing? Yeah, that. Hey, yes. hey, hey, there are plenty of non Yes, 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 yes. Um, but it's not, not, and I'm not saying, I'm saying, I think it's for me the way that lives can become entwined and that's what, def- it's like, it's, what's the difference between like, I mean, we've had this discussion, I don't know if you guys want to bring in your, <laughs> your situation here, but like, you guys think you might actually accidentally be Canadian married, like, it's, you like, you live together, you're in the same house, you're very involved in each other's lives, you care about each other a great deal, but you are not in, you're not, not in a romantic relationship. No. No. There, there's, it's a degree of feeling in which your, not necessarily your sense of purpose or well-being or anything is dependent on the other person, but it is entwined with the other person. And you may feel enriched and improved by them, but you also get something out of just having the feelings for them, not necessarily having them like reciprocated. A symbiosis. <laughs> this is called metamorphosis, but close. <laughs> it, is. it would have been a much better title I, than metamorphosis. See, I don't know if that makes any sense. It's so tricky because speaking of our own accidental Canadian marriage, like <laughs> we're not married, we don't French kiss. <laughs> Um, cool. I hope not. That's a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have. Ro- Sorry, Ari. Like, no I'm offense. I'm I have no romantic feelings. <laughs> but I mean, how? Well, it's really, other, other than. Uh, but then again, there there are relationships and there are romantic relationships that don't involve French kissing. So what does? What I feel like what they're trying to say is that that Zephram and the companion have a romantic relationship. It's not companionship when she takes over the body of Eleanor Donahue. Oh, as soon as Kirk and Quo are off the planet, they're banging. Yeah, right? Yeah. And here's my problem with this episode because this is among many. Among many. This is one more of those episodes where if they took out just like one or two things, it would be a really genuinely good and interesting episode. And in this case, I would be a lot more comfortable with a lot of it if they took out A, the weird creepy underlying narrative that women exist to serve and please men, but that comes in on the tail of B, that this has to necessarily be a romantic relationship as opposed to a deep, abiding, symbiotic, affectionate love, certainly, but mm-hmm. not necessarily falling under the completely arbitrary and, generally speaking, 
a definition imposed from without romantic relationship. Why does it have to be a romantic relationship? Is it less meaningful because it's not a physical, sexual, romantic relationship? By their definition, yes. yes. And that's my problem with this. Because like, if it wasn't about a romantic relationship, I would really think this was very sweet. But they have to force this 1960s heteronormative pair bonding thing on it. And then it gets uncomfortable and creepy. To be fair, it was the 1960s it was, when yeah, they were making this. Yeah. But, but if they made this again now? I don't know. She, and again, she, it, they, Glow Cloud. Glow I'm Cloud, sticking with they. Yeah. Glow Cloud, Glow Cloud loves him. Sure. Yes. And I think he loves the Glow Cloud. In maybe a Stockholm Syndrome <laughs> kind of way? Like, I mean... Like the whole reason that the glow cloud brings Kirk and Co. to the com- to the planet is because mm-hmm. Zeph from Cochrane is like fundamentally like deeply, deeply lonely yeah. because he has no one to interact with other than this, you know, ball of energy, mm-hmm. which he doesn't try to interact with. But I don't like there are he... other ways of communicating with yeah. something other than using speech, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like he tries. He no. doesn't even. I don't even know if he sees it as a sentient being. I th- I think he thinks it's cer- he certainly thinks of it as conscious because he talks about it in terms of motives and talks about it in terms of being benign and that it helps him. I don't know. It's really odd because the whole like joining together of consciousnesses, becoming a new thing, the concept of metamorphosis, the way that it was done in sci-fi, maybe 10, 15 years after this episode was written is very different from the way that they portray it here. And I think it would have been really interesting if this had been like a next gen episode. Because I think it would have been a much more interesting and subtle and sophisticated story than this one really clearly wanted to be, but definitely fell short of being. I mean, it isn't... I mean, the glow cloud metamorphosizes. Eleanor Donahue doesn't. Eleanor Donahue, in my opinion, is dead. She says they're both still there. Yeah. She who, says she couldn't trust the glow cloud. I actually do believe that because I don't think the glow cloud has any reason to lie. But she has no way of communicating. She doesn't speak. We don't ever hear from her. No, we don't. It just takes her over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is essentially using her body as a host for its limited, as far as we know, conscious. Yeah. But... Getting back to my original thesis statement, the whole point of this episode is punishing career women. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 100% on board with that. Like, she, it was seen as a, the episode framed it as a bad thing that all she wanted to do was get back and do her job. Yes. And she was constantly being talked down to and told to just calm down and, like, does Kirk have a conversation, is Kirk who has a conversation with her? Or she confesses to McCoy at the end yes, that I've, oh, never I've never been, been in love, love and therefore my life is meaningless. Yeah. Oh, Eleanor, Eleanor, let me take you to the bosom of my bosom. It's okay. <laughs> you can lead a perfectly nice life without that. Um, but it is. It just punishes her. And part... We can start with the episode is that they're on a space shuttle. She has Sakuro's disease, which 
in the Memory Alpha article, they go through the symptoms of this, which I actually like because some of the problems that I had with things that happen and how she acts in certain situations make a lot more sense. But mm-hmm. I think that's just backtracking to try and make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a fever. You have emotional lability, which means you're kind of open to the suggestion you have big emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, coma, and then death. Um, basically, through the entire thing, I was like, oh, she's sick and she's dying of being too hot, apparently. <laughs> It is very cruel because they just poo-poo her entire concerns. I am very sick. I would like to stop being sick and go back to my job. And they're like, psh, whiny woman, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, she was like, at the beginning, she was like, Starfleet did not prepare me adequately for going on this. I did not get the proper vaccinations. And Kirk is like, but this is really rare. So how should we have known? If there is a vaccination, why not just pump her full of all of them? Well, she is going into space. There's lots of reasons to not get vaccinations you don't need. But, I mean, and in fairness, when they crash and it looks like they're not going to make it back in time, there is definitely a tonal shift in their treatment of her. They don't... Not enough. No. But not there never enough. is enough. That is another problem, is that her dying is never given the seriousness that it deserves, and she's not allowed to develop as a character enough that we connect with her and feel bad that she is dying. No, but she's But I just think there. they did that on purpose, so that when the glow cloud takes her over, we're supposed to feel like that's a mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, she gets to experience love. Gets to get some of that sweet penis. Like, that is essentially it. Yeah. She doesn't even get to have a conversation with the guy she's going to end up, like forever life partnering on a desert planet Not even with. her. Her body is going yeah. to be, like, living with. She has no conversation with him. He essentially shows up, sexually harasses her verbally, and then she's like, I'm gonna go, like, swoon over here. Yeah. Uh, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. There is nothing for her life there because there is no one else. There's nothing to do on that planet. No. Nope. All you get to do is farm. Farm, <sighs> Kim. Farm. I know. It's terrible. Um, I will say that right, right from the beginning, I felt a very nice, like, sort of, like, symbiosis myself. Yeah. Thank you, I, with the commish. <laughs> she calls it the Starfleet, which <laughs> just reached into my heart because, you know, I have such a hard time dealing with the iTunes and her troubles with the Starfleet was just, like, it just, it spoke to me. I'm so sure glad. Can. So we're in a space shuttle, the Galileo, nice, nice throwback, with Spock, Kirk, and Bones. Guess what happens when you go on a flight on the shuttle Galileo? And again, nothing why, good. Why send your ch- your captain? <laughs> yeah. These are excellent. Your questions. chief medical officer and Spock in one one trip. Seriously, yeah. this trip needed bones for the medical and Chekhov to pilot slash sexually harass the passenger. Yeah. Like that's all you needed. No one else. Yeah. She immediately starts making coffee for other people, at which point I just started screaming incoherently in my head. Yes, she makes the coffee. It also makes no sense for her state of mind, like, stated and explicit. Like, she's pissed at everybody, but she's pouring them water. I'm like, okay. She's a woman. That's what women do. So, yes, they say it was a billion to one chance of her getting this disease. However... How many billions of people died on that last planet? Like in previous... Yeah, billions of people are there all the time. So actually, the odds are very good. Um, There are billions of people in space. So why not just give her the immunization? I would, however, like to note that despite the fact... This is just a me thing. But Mm -hmm. while she is being portrayed in this as a whiny shrew, I have decided that it fits with my personal, like, headcanon of the fact... That all Starfleet and ba- like all Federation ambassadors are really abrasive and difficult to hang to be around. <laughs> like every single one we ever see. I would like this also plays into my personal headcanon that Starfleet Medical is a bunch of useless incompetence. <laughs> well, we knew that already. 
Yeah. We do, because she essentially dies on Bones Watch. Again, sorry. If you knew that she had this disease, and you're picking her up to come back and kind of treat her, wouldn't you bring the things that you needed to treat her, just in case the disease progresses a little bit faster than it might, with you in the shuttlecraft? Why, yeah, that was that's a very good question. Like, why Thank couldn't you, you take, if she's sick, why can't you take the treatment to the planet. It might, is... I think it was an equipment thing. Who cares? Bring the equipment with you. Well, it's like you can't bring a full surgical theater with you in an ambulance. Ambulances are not the same as a hospital. But you have enough things that you could triage in case things don't go quite right. I also don't think that am- at this point in um, Starfleet canon, they don't have stasis, which is what they would use later on. I don't care about stasis. I'm saying if someone's having a heart attack, that's why you had the things to deal with a heart attack in an ambulance. I have seen enough mm-hmm. medical dramas where doors burst open with a paramedic with their hand inside the guy's chest because we had to crack him to save his life. Like, yeah. they could have brought something with them. I have seen 85 seasons of ER. I, yeah, I know that this is possible. I don't have a problem with this because there are some things the ambulance can't do. Whatever. In this extended metaphor, Bones is still a moron. Okay, I'm yes. coming back to my general point about Star Trek. Bad writing. Aww. Fine. Anyway, Fine. then the glow cloud attacks. Yeah, what, but what I do love is that they have these little peepholes that are just like <laughs> soccer balls with a hole cut into them that they kind of put their heads into and swivel around, which, yeah. Something about that visual was very pleasing. The periscope. The <laughs> space periscope. It was a space periscope. Except they also have windows. <laughs> so, oh, and by the way, so they have, we were watching the digitally remastered one again, yeah. and this was really funny because they digitally remastered the Starfield but the glow cloud itself, they just took the old effect, cut it out in Premiere or whatever, and pasted it on top of the new stars. So what we got was the pixelated glow cloud. I really like the glow cloud. I will say that. It is apparently but ionized... But it's really crappy on space. In space. It's ionized hydrogen. Fine. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's going at warp speed. Fine. Fine. Okay. Oh no, that doesn't make any sense anymore, because when she gets possessed she has to stay on the planet why can't she leave the planet glow cloud could leave the planet she said that she could leave for a few days but no more so basically she could leave long enough to steal a shuttle full of humans take a weekend trip with him there's plenty of galaxy to see well i mean the other thing is is that the if when you're listening to scotty and chekhov or scotty and sulu and ahura talk about getting into this because they're in an asteroid belt yeah they're like there's thousands of inhabitable asteroids like you can fly one asteroid over. Yeah, guys. Anyhow, sorry, that's not going to make any sense to people who haven't seen this episode, but let no. me let me tell you that it's another giant flaw. Giant. So, of course, the glow cloud <laughs> envelops it uh, into its gassy bosom. There's a little bit of shaking, and there's a really good open mouth shot of Shatner, though. <laughs> and... This, again, you're quite right, Ari, that they try to portray the commissioner as this shrill shrew. She's like, yeah. I demand to know what's going on! What's happening here? And they're like, we know as much as you do. Shut up, woman! I actually wrote in my notes, she's career focused. (laughs) (laughs) So they're they're getting pulled along, and Kirk does actually say... Just sit back and enjoy the ride. She's dying. Yeah. If she does not get to the ship in time, she's dead. Yeah. Fuck you, Kirk. (laughs) (laughs) I don't say that often. 
So they have to emergency land on a very prettily remastered planet. With very good-looking planet. I thought they did a really good yeah. job. It's very rocky. It's kind of purpley. I'd also this like, set was amazing. It was a good set. It was incredible. It was detailed. It was huge looking. I'm sure it wasn't really, but it, it was not really good. So they do a lot of perspective shooting, so yeah. the things seem much more far away than they are. I think they did a great job. Yeah, what they, they did. did not do a good job is the font choice on the uh, shuttlecraft yeah. for the word Galileo. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even notice. What was it? That was a terrible font. <laughs> it looked it like something awful. you would uh, like airbrush onto the side of a speedboat before you took it out on the lake for a barbecue. <laughs> you often barbecue on lake? No, that's just like part of the aesthetic I came <laughs> yeah, up to in my head. That's cool. That's cool. So, oh, that's making me so angry. <laughs> They're um, there, yeah. and then someone knocks in and says, Hello, friendly neighbor, coming to visit. <laughs> At this point, we get... <sighs> Kim, I would like you to take this away. Uh, okay, this was my favorite part of the episode, and by this, I mean this actor's face. <laughs> yes. He was square-jawed, blue-eyed, and extremely handsome. <laughs> oh, strong disagree. Oh, strong disagree with you. He was very good-looking. Why didn't he have Ben Browder? What? He reminded me a little of Ben Browder. Oh, uh, a little bit, but more 1960s about it. Well, yeah, absolutely. He was definitely corn-fed. I think we yeah. can all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's from Montana, Kareem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so he's very tall, and he says his name is Cochran. He sexually harasses the commish. Oh. Um if she rolls her eyes at it, I don't know, to her her credit. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about here. Yes. Is his clothing. Yes. He is dressed <laughs> head to toe in an orange utility jumpsuit. It's like with prison. a bitching brooch. She has two bitching brooches. And he's got like a, a black turtleneck underneath it or like mm-hmm. a black dicky or something going on under there. <laughs> That's a word yes. you do not hear enough. Yes. Dicky. However... We have to stop and talk about Enterprise for a minute based on his clothing. So the first thing that came into my mind when I saw what he was wearing is like, oh my God, that looks a lot like the uniforms on Enterprise. And so they wear one piece flight jumpsuits with the same sort of open collar and they have like um, insignia colors the on their shoulders. Scene. It's got the same kind of... So I, I'm going to assume it was intentional on the people who made Enterprise is that it really looks like it could be from the same era as what Zephram Cochran is wearing. It, it also very definitely is meant to invoke like flight suits. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. So, yeah. They're very... I agree. They definitely have stuff yeah. in common. So I thought, like, well, I had completely, completely forgotten what he was wearing in this episode, <laughs> and I saw that and was like, oh, that's a nice detail, Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. One thing I would like to go back to, um, just, we want to give the commish, like, full credit for everything she does in this episode before she gets possessed. Mm-hmm. Is that, so they land, and so the manly men are like, we're going to go investigate. You stay in the car. <laughs> she immediately comes out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> so Spock is taking a look at the shuttlecraft going, nothing's wrong with it. Like, we can't take off. And, and sorry, this is really upsetting for a number of reasons that I feel very strongly about. So they take their phasers because they don't know what's out on the planet. They don't mm-hmm. know if there's any invaders. Mm-hmm. So they go to, they go outside of the shuttlecraft. Spock takes off a panel and he's like poking around. That was a worryingly accessible panel, by the way. Definitely agree, but they are in space. So here's the thing. In this situation, Kirk, who's standing right beside him, should be, like, have back to Spock, surveying the territory, making sure that there is no one else, like, going to shoot Spock while he's vulnerable and has his back to this unknown planet, or whether there's someone coming. Like, he should be keeping a look out. Yep. He spends the entire time 
looking at Spock's butt. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that he is protecting is Spock's butt. Well, he does cover that ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> he... <laughs> Cochran toodles over yeah. and asks, are you real? Maybe the companion has made fake people before. Just like, oh, I see somebody in your mind. Let's make them appear. But you can't. Can you imagine how maddening that would be? You could see someone, but you can't touch them or talk to them. Like the glow cloud? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Kim, are you empathizing with a glow cloud now? No, I'm empathizing with Seth from Cochrane. No, let's not. Because the first thing he says is like, oh, uh, hey, I've been marooned here. A woman! And yeah. a beautiful one at that. And you could just. Ugh. He says he's like food to a starving man. Ah! And she does the thing that I do when guys are gross where you just like, ugh. And you, you can't see yeah. my head movement there. She, just she actually away. does that. So she goes, yeah. ugh, and she looks. It is, yeah, exactly what and she does. this is the man she's going to be spending the rest of her bodily life with. Yeah. I do, however, want to note, as an aside, that we get a little bit of Federation history here. Because he runs out. He doesn't recognize. They introduce themselves as being from the Federation. But he doesn't recognize that. He does, however, know that Spock is Vulcan. Yes. So it's like, hmm, that's interesting. Which makes sense for first contact, the movie. Yeah. Yep. Because they he does meet a Vulcan. And yep. also, it makes sense for Enterprise because the Federation is founded during Enterprise. Mm-hmm. So I guess good on everyone else except for the writer of this episode, yes. Gene Kuhn. Do not think I will forgive and forget. He was already on the list. It's true. He's got a mark. Twice, I think. He's got like a mark. He has a mark, but he was never on the list. Now he's on my list. <laughs> so he also says, Oh, come back to my place. Some alien wanders up to you. He's like, Come back to my home. No. And then he immediately turns to Lady Pants, is like, Ooh, I also have a hot bath for the lady. Fuck I'm, you! I like her response to that. She's like, Oh, how perceptive of you to recognize that I need one. Maybe. <laughs> I know. I was like, maybe Spock wants a bath. Yeah, that's true. No one enjoys being dirty. Yeah. Um, the thing, though, is when they're going into his place, the commish, she, like, sighs really heavily. And I literally wrote down, is like, is she dying from sighs? Like, <laughs> she is. His house is actually super cute. Yeah, it really was. I kind of want to live there. It's, like, a weird modernist pentagon or something like that something it's like some shape it's it's a futuristic round. shape yeah <laughs> very much was. very efficient though yeah he grows his own vegetable he even makes horrible art that he hangs on the wall yeah horrible modernist art okay see here's the thing i could you know if he crashed in a shuttle or whatever i could get that he has a bunch of stuff and he could create a shelter out of it whatever whatever the part that would have ticked me off that something wasn't right here was when he comes out with the drinks tray. Yeah, that was a little strange. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Kim, that's right. Unless every single shuttle in the past was equipped with a small wet bar. You like, know what? It was the 60s. They probably thought that was completely like, reasonable. Janeway and Chakotay, there's an episode where they get stranded on a planet and they have, like, a shelter and, like, Chakotay makes his own art. So I'm like, I'm totally behind that. But he has, like, a drinks tray with, like, matching glassware. It probably doesn't occur to them that everyone wouldn't have that in their homes. But, like, in the... Was he stranded there for 82 years? 150 years! Like, surely you would run out of booze. But she's doing booze runs for him? Yeah, she's, like, creating stuff out of the air. He says that a couple of times. Well, see, here's the thing. If she can create, like, 
drinks trays and like beautiful shelter and like crappy modernist art why can't she create like a fake person or can't she write a novel like come on lady <laughs> that's true like take a stick and then scrawl something in the ground to say hi yeah yeah huh well that's oh, irritating that is very very now, i want to go back a little bit for a second here because while he's like offering them hospitality and offering people baths that he's just met <laughs> Um, have you ever offered anyone in your entire life a bath? Not ever, no. I mean, I've had people who've come to visit or whatever, and I'm like, come on, once you get in settled, do you want to have a shower or something? Like, but I'm not like, Kareem, nice to meet you. Would you like a bath? (laughs) Because it seems to imply, with me. (laughs) But, um, he admires the shuttle. And Kirk says, you've been out of circulation for a while. The principles might be new to you. Okay. Kirk clearly already suspects that this guy is Ephraim Cochran. No, 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 no. Ari, strike that for the record. It's because he says, I'm Earth people, I'm from Alpha Centauri or whatever. Yeah. But like... So they know he's from Earth. Okay, but out of circulation for a while, the principles may be unfamiliar to you. That's not something you say for someone who's been out of circulation for less than like 50 years. His suit. His outfit. He knows, he's probably guessing that he's maybe displaced in time or something. Well, that makes more sense, I guess. Or he's been stranded here and he's like the child of people who are stranded here. There's something. But he doesn't notice the drinks tray. Come on, Kirk. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> on the other hand, I thought it was perfectly normal to have a drinks tray. Yeah. <laughs> Which apparently I need to check myself. But yeah, he offers them drinks because that's normal. And then uh, she starts getting, uh, the commission starts getting worse. Like she starts getting the fever, which is the first symptom. Yeah. And then the glow cloud comes back. <laughs> Yeah, he first tries to pass it off like, oh, like there's a weird glowing in the backyard. And he's like, yeah, it's just light plays tricks on you. And they're like, yeah, that's not convincing at all. It grabbed us out of the sky. (laughs) He's like, oh, yeah, that. (laughs) The other glowing ball of light. So he explains everything. Yeah, he says he calls it the companion. Mm hmm. It brought him here in his ship. It saved his life. He was dying. He was an old man. And that he can commune with it. Yeah. that That's the part that sort of made me think that he can sort of get some kind of impression of what it's thinking and right? doing. Like, I know Ari doesn't seem to think it. it he could communicate with so it. So let's or... ignore Ari and just yes. focus back on us. Yeah. I, I do think he has, if not like direct communication, like they're not just like, hey, companion, how are you this morning? Well, it's a little cold in the atmosphere. Except it's always 72 degrees. Yeah. But <laughs> they, they do have, like, he does have some sense of its, like, intentions and he gets something from it. Like, that's why he calls it the companion and not the glow cloud. <laughs> Or, like, the prison warden. Yeah. I, I agree. Like, but there's no level of detail. How do you know that? Because then he would have known that it was in love with him all that time. I feel like that's the sort of thing that should come from a fairly basic level, with or without language and grammar. From every single extended television series we have ever seen, people are able to hide the fact that they are in love with another person very easily. Not usually yes. when you're, like, mentally communing with them, though. We don't know how much it communes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my favorite part of this whole explanation was that when Zephram Cochran finishes, Spock essentially says, that sounds fake, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So, yeah, he's Zephram Cochran. He BT dumps, I invented warp drive. Oh, yeah, just as an aside. Mm-hmm. Uh he died 150 years ago. As far as everybody knows. Except not. And then they say yeah. planets are named after him. 
cities, universities. universities, which Spock says us, and you kind of get the sense of his level of importance. Number one, university. Yeah. Then cities. I guess a planet is okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing that I also love is this was um, it. It goes back to the first contact movie when, like, is it Jordy is talking to yeah, like, yeah, Zephram yeah. Cochran on Earth when they're back in time, and he's like, "There are schools named after." I him. went to Zephram Cochran <laughs> High School. Oh, yeah. And he's horrified. Yeah. Zephram Cochran's just like Zephram Cochran out. <laughs> yeah. He goes off to get drunk in the woods. (laughs) That is fair. So, apparently, Zephram Cochran was tired of living and wanted to die in space, so at 87, strapped himself to a rocket and blasted off. Okay, so here's the thing, also, that if, like, Zephram Cochran did his Zephram Cochran out and was like, I'm going to die in space, and he got saved by this globe cloud, he's been living for another 150 years. No, wait, 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 wait. He was supposed to have died 150 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So 150 years ago. Okay, fine. So he yeah. disappeared when he was so, 87. That checks out, Kim. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, like, wouldn't he be, like, 150 years worth of pissed at this thing for keeping him alive when he was like, I'm up to die. But he says it saved his life. This makes no sense! It doesn't, but it also made him young and hot and virile, so <laughs> it did make him apparently hot. he's okay with that. It's just when he got, like, oldie and wrinkly, he was like, oh. No point in being alive. In fairness, that does kind of track with the Zephyr Cochran we get in first contact. He was already old and wrinkly. He was, but I Fact. imagine he got worse. Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, yeah. Yeah, so he hasn't aged. And, like, then he, and then he's like, so um, this is awkward, but I'm pretty sure that the glow cloud brought you guys down here to keep me company. Sorry! Because he said he would die of loneliness. And he's like, it doesn't know. I lied to it. Uh, and then, poor, poor Kamish flips out. Yup. Yeah. Screaming, we're not animals! We're not animals! And Kirk has to, like, manfully wrestle her into bed and not in a fun, sexy way. No. no. Uh, she starts screaming at one point, it's disgusting. Yes. <laughs> I believe this is also meant to be, like, the disease flipping into the next stage. We don't know that. No. So what we can assume from this is that our men of Starfleet remain calm, cool, and collected, and the lady just flips her wig. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's not in Starfleet. She's a She's civilian. a commissioner of Starfleet. No, she's a, a she's, she's an ambassador. She's a Federation commissioner. She's like, she's not different. the guys, she's not even a commissioner. She is. They describe her as the commissioner like eight mm-hmm. times. She's the assistant commissioner. Uh, yeah, but she's still negotiating a peace treaty. For a whole planet. And I mean, she's, like, sister's, like, 35. She's, like, my age. Yeah. So she's doing pretty good. I'm yeah. I'm not negotiating peace, intergalactic peace treaties. <laughs> we have to remember Who that. among us is? Probably I'm, in the Federation, you start, like, planning a career at, like, 12. <laughs> I'm impressed that I managed to feed myself every day. <laughs> That's true. So Kirk takes Spock aside, and he's like, so, um... Just so that you are contingency planning, we might need to kill that thing to get off this fucking planet. It is, yeah, they start the conversation of, well, we need to get off this planet. The only way to get off this planet is to kill it. And Spock's like, Or yeah, to push fine. it out of our way. Fine. Mm-hmm. Cool. Because well, Spock considers this briefly and he's like, that is logical. I actually can't argue with them on this one because the thing's not letting them leave. 
they need to leave or the commissioner will die. Also, otherwise they'll be trapped here for the rest of their lives, which I mean, personally, I think I'd rather die. Oh, you know what I just realized? The commissioner being sick and going to die is the ticking clock for the episode. Yeah, of course it is. Uh, I hate the ticking (laughs) clock. Well, I mean, the ticking clock actually stopped ticking in this one, as opposed to being stopped at like three seconds. No, it is... She doesn't technically die. She's technically stopped at three seconds. She's on the edge of death and then it swoops in. Yeah, so there's a little bit of talk about immortality, how it mostly consists of boredom. Yeah, it sucks, basically. It sucks. There's nothing for you to do. And so Kirk's like, okay, Cochrane, we're going to need your help in getting rid of this thing. He does this little, he does this little, because he takes, he takes Baca's side and then he takes Cochrane's side and he's like, so do you want to leave? And he's like, hell yeah, I want to leave. And he gets this little brief summary of the Federation. There are humans on a thousand worlds. Space is still barely mapped out. We estimate a million planets with intelligent life. And it's this very nice little classic sci-fi moment where both of them are on screen talking about the grand future of humanity, exploring the unknown yeah. reaches of space and their faces. I really liked that despite the crappiness of the episode. <laughs> also because they have great jaws. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of nice jawlines in this yes. episode. So he sends Spock off to get to make a weapon out from the shuttlecraft. The glow cloud follows him. <laughs> yeah. The glow cloud ain't no fool. <laughs> the glow cloud sneaks up on him, jub jub ninja style, <laughs> and uh, lightnings him. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, to be fair, he waves his hand around inside of it first. <laughs> if anyone starts waving a hand up inside of me, I'd like to shoot them treatment. too. It tasers him. He had it, it coming. Yes, that's true. So again, this would imply some sort of intelligence on its part in that it yeah. overheard their conversation, followed the one who was going to make a weapon, and then attacked it when provoked. Okay, yeah. here's a question for the group. Yeah, sorry. If you encounter a being that is clearly intelligent simply by its actions, that is made of energy and is capable of dissipating and reassembling itself at will, wouldn't you assume that it was just always around listening to you? Wouldn't that be the safest assumption to make? It depends. It's clearly not limited by physicality. But when it dissipates, is it just like blinking out of existence or going into a parallel universe? Or is okay, it like, energy cannot be created or restored, so it can't be disappearing or ceasing to exist. Is it like the gods where they didn't cease to exist, they just scattered themselves so mm. far on the wind that they could not bring themselves back together? Is that like what the glow cloud does? Excellent callback to who mourns for Adonis. Very good, very good. Or Adonius or whatever the hell his name was. Let's never speak I mean, there's lots and lots of possibilities for where the glow cloud goes when it dissipates, but I think the most safest explanation is to assume that it is still there you just can't see it that is and listening fair. to your conversation <laughs> to be fair they did meet the glow cloud five minutes ago that's also true so i would also like to say that the trees on this planet make no goddamn sense no. there is both a pine tree and a palm tree side by side i assume that he just asked for those i don't know that it gives or creates because he has to grow his own vegetables yeah but where do you get the seeds from I think, honestly, if, if you were living for 150 years alone on a planet with a glow cloud, would you ask for a plate of vegetables, or would you ask for the seeds and the ability to farm them to give yourself something fucking to do every five days? I, yeah, I would. All right, so Kim, <laughs> if I am granted the curse of immortality and stuck on a planet for 150 years, yes, under those exact circumstances, <laughs> then I will consider gardening. Okay. <laughs> what she means is, I will be doing the gardening. <laughs> So, <laughs> he, they get, they want to observe him, and so he's like, oh, call call your companion, and then Kirk and 
bones just kind of sit back and make one of those amazing mountain goat leaps of <laughs> deductive logic, I guess, when it, like, smushes it to its bosom. And they're like, huh, well, it's not like a pet owner and a pet. Buh? <laughs> oh, it's a symbiosis. It's adjoining. And they practically like start crying they have misty eyes they're like it's more like love i actually wrote down kirk pulls love out of his ass (laughs) yeah basically i mean i'll give them it looks like symbiosis because he's literally inside of its body at that point but the rest of it that's eating well no i mean if 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 you assume that this happened before and he survived but it's like okay but what's the other side of the symbiosis so the one thing I did notice about this is that Cochrane um, actually has his his very specific communing location. Every yes. time he needs to think at the glow cloud, he goes out to a specific spot and stands there. I'm like, couldn't you just do that from inside where it's warm? Well, I assume that's where the tape X was. <laughs> no, do you know what this reminded me of? It just flashed into my mind. Did you guys see that picture that was taken in Australia like last week or this week of like the fish inside the jellyfish? No. No. Okay. Well, they, this happened. Some like um, like underwater famous underwater photographer was taking pictures of jellyfish and got one of. They can't decide if the fish, like the jellyfish, tried to eat the fish, but it was too big, and now the fish is stuck inside the jellyfish. It was a terrifying picture. Now that is all that I can think of. You guys should look this up. It is horrific. Let me see this. Pause. That fish looks freaked out. Right? It looks really upset. I don't yeah. want that picture at all. <laughs> uh, so. They figure out that it's mostly made of electricity, and so they're going to... Short it out. Sure, fine. And then poor Cochrane's face is like, mm-hmm. and Kirk's like, does that trouble you? I think, yeah, you're killing his girlfriend. <laughs> he says, no, we, we became close. I don't want it killed. No, I won't stand for it. Yeah. Which, again, he has feelings for it. Yeah. And Kirk says, well... I gotta do whatever I gotta do to save lives. That's all there is to it. And Cochran says, you want to make me a Judas goat? Yes. Explain that, please. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I had to rewind it because I was like, I did not hear that correctly. Like, I hope I heard that correctly because that sounds like an awesome turn of phrase. So a Judas goat is one that is trained to lead a, a thing of sheep or a thing of cattle and and leads them to a specific destination. So you train the one goat to go to places that you tell it to, and then the sheep will follow it. Mm-hmm. So often in stockyards, a Judas goat leads the sheep into their slaughter. Ah, okay. The goat lives because it still has purpose, but everyone that follows it is murdered. Well, the sheep have a purpose. Food. <sighs> Let's not get into that particular <laughs> crime. I simply do not believe that 23rd... What? No, wait. What century is he from? 23rd. Post-World War III Montana still has factory farming and Judas goats. But, but it okay. was also a term used in World War II mm. for the brightly covered... They were kind of like polka-dotted and brightly colored planes that would lead the rest of the, the bombing squad yeah. to their destination and then hightail it back out. Oh, interesting. Oh. So I think in, in that kind of terminology, that makes a lot more yeah, sense. Yes, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> but still. Yeah. Gosh, guys. So they, of course, don't 
think that this can go wrong at all. No, of course not. And by the way, they have to do this while he's inside of it. Because that's what happens when he calls up the glow cloud. The glow cloud comes, gives him a big hug. Aww. And then they electrocute him. And he, of course, falls down because electricity. He's being electrocuted inside the electric electricity ball. I feel like they didn't really think this through. So they didn't! Well. No, they did not. They do a, a tremendous amount of tumbling around, yeah. clutching at various body parts. Yeah, because the glow cloud doesn't like that and decides to go after the people who flip the switch. Yes. And Bones is shouting at saying, stop, you're choking them! As if the glow cloud could understand. Or care. And... The blob is essentially like, oh, you're my special little boy. Yeah. I can't hurt you. And it dissipates. <sighs> so we have a five minute obligatory detour for Kirk to do his it's all my fault nonsense. How so? Yeah, whatever. And then Bone says, try the carrot rather than the stick. Okay, why not lead with this? See, I would have thought so. So, like, because Kirk says, why don't we try the universal translator? Why not start with that? Yeah. By the way, I think this is the first time we've heard the Universal Translator. It's the first time it has been in mentioned. In those terms, which is yes. awesome, because there are so many cool things about the Universal Translator. But let's talk about their actual explanation of what yeah. the Universal Translator is. It's nonsense, is. and it makes no sense. Uh, Ari, would you like to take this away? Because I think it, it made you angrier than it made me. It did. Okay, hang on. i got to find my actual notes about how ridiculous this is. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So, Kirk explains the Universal Translator as... Reading brainwaves. Yes. Fine. No. For, no, okay. For, for a 1960s no. understanding of brainwaves, fine. Whatever. That's a broad, crude explanation. It's nonsense. Disallowed. However, well, I, my understanding of the Universal Translator has always been that it listens. That it's an audio device. Yeah. Um, later ones, I'm willing to believe that it makes it easier for people to form new mental pathways in language just because of how it speeds up the acquisition process but it's not about it's not psychic it works on sound mm. that it re it listens to a language long enough to build a syntax and then it goes okay and it compares it to other known languages and then produces something that the person using the device can understand that is they, definitely how it works in enterprise yeah, yeah it's also how it works in next gen it's how it works in every single there's a really interesting memory alpha article with um, there's the canon part of the article, and then there's the, the, the one where people are trying to figure out, like, people talking about it, going, okay, but based on what we've actually seen, the only explanation that doesn't contradict itself is that it listens, it has played some role in helping the brain form new pathways faster to speed up language acquisi ac acquisition, and if you use it long enough with one language you will actually end up being able to understand the language because your brain has formed the pathways to understanding language because it's always easier to understand or read something than it is to speak or write it because one's passive and one is active. That's how real language acquisition works. And the way that it's portrayed, except in this conversation here, <laughs> the way it's portrayed mirrors the way that we now know mirror language acquisition actually works. It's supported by every piece of the narrative except for this conversation throughout the entire Star Trek franchise. Is that how the real-life universal translator that that guy um, invented so he could talk to girls in French works? <laughs> sort of. Okay. Yeah, that's that's more like a babelfish. Mm. But it, it's the same principle, yeah. That it, it listens and it goes, okay, you're speaking this, and then it compares it to what... Yeah, basically language acquisition has always worked the same way. We've always understood the basics, but the way we actually understand the way the brain builds it actually does pretty much track with the way the universal translator is shown to work throughout all of Star Trek 
Except for this conversation here. And how does it work here, Ari? Here it says it reads brainwaves. Whatever. Okay, fine. No. no. Um, and then it says it translates them into English. And here I wrote arrow English question mark question mark question mark. And I'm going to write three underlines under it now because it's still making me angry. It cannot possibly translate to English. It looks like a pipe bomb. Um, yeah. It also says that the Universal Translator is what does the speaking. And at no other point throughout the Star Trek franchise did the Universal Translator speak. It is an intermediary between the speaker and the listener. Here is another point about the Universal Translator. In this explanation, Uh. they say that there are certain universal... Let me finish my thought. (laughs) Universal constants. So there are certain concepts that apply to everyone. Uh. And the Universal Translator picks up on those. This I'm gonna, the, uh, I'm gonna ra- take Ari and raise you a boo. <laughs> this would be the gender essentialist addendum to the Universal Translator uh, <laughs> user's manual, circa 1968. Yeah, because they turn it on and Kirk talks to the glow cloud, and presumably the Universal Translator conveys Kirk's words to it the way that the Universal Translator works every other time we see it used. But when the glow cloud speaks, we hear it talk out of the Universal Translator in a soothing lady voice. And everyone's like, huh, that's funny. Why does it talk like a girl? (laughs) And Cochran asks that. Because while they are talking to it, they say, oh, it's funny. It sounds feminine. And Spock says, the matter of gender could change the entire situation. I just wrote, ugh. How? (laughs) How? How would it change the situation? Yeah. The The fact remains that the glow cloud has captured them there and will not let them go. The glow cloud is also not interested in conversing about this at all. Male, female, doesn't matter. Has nothing to do with anything. Nope. Um, And then, basically, the the glow cloud's like, you are silly, silly little, I don't know, what's what's a a small pet that you mock and don't listen to? Sure. You people are no more intelligent than chihuahuas. I'm out of here. Glow cloud dissipates. Cochrane comes up to them looking deeply uncomfortable and goes, um, so why'd you give it a lady voice? (laughs) And Kirk says, my least favorite thing he has ever said, I think, so far, the idea of male and female are universal constants. And I actually went, no, no, no. I was like, it is followed by one of my favorite lines, which is Bones going, you're not a pet, you're a lover. Uh, At which point, I lost my pants. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and so does that from Cochrane because he's suddenly having an alien gay pen. That is all that I could possibly describe it as. He is suddenly completely switch flipped from having affection for this thing and caring about it and considering it a companion that kept him alive all these years to he's disgusted and just freaking out and yelling and it's an alien and I'm, I'm revolted, I'm violated and here is the strange moment where Spock, Bones, and Kirk are sitting there going, God damn, funny old-fashioned people from 150 years so ago. So he's like, oh my god, oh I'm my god, so oh my god, this alien crawled around inside of me. Yeah. It fed on me. It's disgusting. And Bones like, eh, you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, suddenly, like, suddenly we're having weird. them being portrayed as, like, these super progressive, cool with whatever, like, space-faring, progressive humans, and Zephyrin Cochran, olds from 150 years ago, is freaking out, like, that's exactly how this scene is framed, but, like, guys. And even Spock is like, you've been emo- emotionally satisfied, probably sexually satisfied, <laughs> for the past 150 years, like, why are you being such a dick right like, now? Literally the only thing that changed between Glow Club and Zephyrin Cochran's relationship was Kirk's like, it's a lady. <laughs> yeah. 
And suddenly this reframing. I mean, it would be really intelligent if I thought they were doing it on purpose. Mm. But I don't. So, yes, the parochial attitudes. So we go back to the poor Kamish who has her bedside confessional with bones. Yeah, because she's delirious. Yeah. I hate this so much. I don't want to die. I'm good at my job, but I've never been in love, and that's my entire what life. What kind of life is that? Ugh. 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 Bones immediately runs away. He's like, I, what I thought was going to happen, he'd say, well, I'll love you. <laughs> <laughs> because he's a terrible doctor. Yes, he is. Meanwhile... We get a brief, I mean, we did a minute we ago. We get some brief interludes with With Scotty ship. being highly competent yeah, and her sure, being awesome. Fine, cool, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that's the only important part you need to know is, like, the Enterprise has discovered they're missing and is looking for them. And they're being, doing a better job of it than they would if the three of them were on board. Yep. Um, and Kirk goes to talk to Glow Cloud again. Because he's trying to explain why holding someone captive is not a really good way of showing that you love them. Holding a human because humans desire freedom. And we have been... We've done this on, theme We've before. picked up that rock. We've looked at its crawling, buggy underside. Yeah. We're putting that rock back and we're <laughs> not getting into it. Okay. Yes, because we got to the, we need obstacles to change no. and grow. And he also like, tries to explain the physical and mental health. It's, it's like, um, Kirk, of all of the people on the entire Enterprise, the last person who should be talking and explaining about mental health is you. But, okay, this is his, Kirk's definition of love. (laughs) That, because he tells Glowcloud, you love him. And she's like, uh, what? He's like, okay, it's when someone is more important to you than anything. That they're a part of you. And that you have to continue with them. And it's more important that they continue than you continue. Yeah. How do we feel about that definition of love? Love is self-sacrifice? I think love means putting someone else's On a very basic level, I would accept that as a partial definition. That's from a movie or something like... Love is kind, love is... No, 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 not that. Not the Bibli, but like, (laughs) love means putting someone else before yourself. Sure. Although, sorry, Ari, in a survival situation, it's all about me. Do you would starve to death within two weeks? No, I am very canny. Mm-hmm. But Kareem would just put on one of her good shirts and charm the pants off of You're somebody. You're assuming there are other human beings. The pants and food off of some yeah, other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But how do we feel about that definition of love? I know it's from another movie and it's going to drive me insane before I figure it out. Like, love means putting someone else in front of your in front of your Ahead of your own. Yeah. I accept it as a partial definition, certainly. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I can see that as a partial definition. It's not like the true one It's not the be-all. It's not the be-all end-all end of, of love, but it no, is part of a definition. I don't think it's even necessarily romantic love, but I definitely accept it as a quality of love. And that, 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 that person is a part of you. Which is, in this case, literally true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyways, he goes through his regular spiel about freedom, freedom, freedom. And freedom, he's also freedom, saying, freedom. you can't really... Love him because yeah, you're, you're not. Your emotions are invalid because you're an alien, which is what they constantly say to Spock. Well, I think I think what we're supposed to get from this is he's trying to explain because it doesn't understand the emotions the way that humans contextualize. Of course them. not. It's not human. Yeah, but like he's talking about human emotions, and it's talking about a concept that it doesn't really have the language to convey. And his argument, I think, what we're supposed to get out of this mishmash is that it can't really understand or love him on the level that 
would make him happy because it isn't human. And then it says, if I were human, there could be love. This is so weird. weird. Because it seems to say that a that a facet, the, the most important facet of love is not so much the actual emotion or the actions, but the container that is the human form. I don't know. I mean, I was reading it more like... But I mean, that's almost true. If we think about it, like the human form means like the hormones and the chemicals that well, yeah, the physiological responses to emotions other people are complicated and we still don't really understand but what or why. But like you can have all of that, but there's still cultural context yeah, to emotions. There is. And like, what yeah. does love mean to one culture versus another culture? Like even, even like the, the trappings and the rituals are completely different from culture to culture. And that's in one species. So I mean, in a, in a very physical sense, he's right. It can't feel love the way the humans feel love because it's not love within a system. It's like installing a piece of software on two different operating systems. It's going to yeah. be a very different experience most of the time unless someone has done an amazing job with the UI design. It's going to look different. It's going to be a different experience. It's such an interesting yeah. thing to say is that, like, yeah, like the, the, that part of love is that Phys- not just the physicality of it, like making no, out and the context like, penises, literally but the context, like, <laughs> like the actual physical response to that person. I don't think it's even necessarily physical. I think it is. I think physicality it's is definitely like part of it. The beating of the heart or the warming of the chest or that warm feeling that rushes over. I would you. argue that there are analogs possible, but I also think that con- I think more broadly speaking, what he's talking about isn't isn't just physicality. He's talking about context, and its context is so completely far removed from Cochrane's context, from a human context. Like, otherwise we wouldn't be able to have, like, romantic relationships or deep and meaningful love of whatever kind of relationships in different species. And we see that throughout Star Trek. In fact, do, it's a central plot to a lot of stuff. Do dogs love? Do I think so. animals love? I yes. don't think they do. Why not? Because... They don't show it by their actions as well. Not the way that we do. Well, okay, okay. I think what Ari, I think there's a distinction between other like sentient humanoid species because like there is like cultural differences. What I said, the cultural context of emotion and that. Yeah. But you know, people from different cultures on Earth can still find a way to make the emotions, and you can do that among species. We're talking. We're not even talking like two different bipedal species here. We're talking Mm -hmm. human ball of energy it's like and that's like it's like can a can a carbon-based life form love a silicon-based life form and that's what that's yeah it's not just are you capable of like what whatever generating the same hormones the same brain waves and then responding to those in kind it's why would you even care about that it's like an ascended jerk but it has the emotion it has the emotion it has love well we don't know it has certainly some analog and it thinks that it has an analog but it can't really know because it can't experience it the same way as that's, human beings. That's part of the problem with this episode, is that Kirk decided it was love. Yeah. And that it was a lady, so it's love. Yeah. Yeah. It's very clumsy. And that's that's where it sort of, like, the, the companion doesn't really ever have any kind of a definition of its own of what it feels. No, it doesn't. Yes. For Kirk. Yeah. Or for Just for that it, it wants him around, and it wants him to be safe, and it wants him to continue. It doesn't have the context or the language or any of the stuff to describe it. They're the ones that define it. And of course, since the, it's the 60s, they have to define it in a very regimented and heterosexist way. But, you know, it it's them that impose that definition from without. It's very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
much more so than the episode lets it be. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like all of what they're saying, like, they call it a lover. Like, that's the relationship that it has with Cochrane, that it yeah. treats him like a lover. Mm-hmm. So I think really what this comes down to is the the physicality of love. And well, that is do. a necessary yeah. part of romantic love. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, in, a, in, a, in a sense, and it's frustrating because without that oversimplification, which is very, I, I think it's infantile. It, it, it infantilizes and oversimplifies something that if this were done now, I think would be a really genuinely interesting and sophisticated concept, a really interesting story to tell. But because of the period in which it's been written and the, let's say, lack of skill with which it is written, it's just not that interesting. It's like takes this, it takes this possibly interesting conversation and sort of jams it into this ugly boring little container but it it starts a conversation that continues in a lot of star trek like can non lack of a better word non-human so data Mm -hmm. can they love Love. yeah and i don't know whether it really lands on one side or the other even like seven of nine the conversation is she was human Mm -hmm. she is was borg can she love Apparently, if she's hooking up with her pseudo-dad, yes. Yeah. So, anyways, to solve this entire corundum, the Sparkle Monster takes over the Commissioner, who is apparently just about dead and totally agreed to it, by the way. Off-screen. Off-screen. <laughs> See, and again, if we'd had that conversation. I, it brings up a lot of things from Stargate uh, with the... Oh, the uh, the nice ones played by the Tokra. Um, yes, the uh, Tokra. There you go. I was gonna say Allison Argent's dad. Yes, <laughs> Allison Argent's hot That's dad. That's really weird now. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But like with the Tokra, where you you get Jolinar. yes, Jr. Born, who got hotter with age, <laughs> like a fine wine. <laughs> Not that we've ever had a fine wine. <laughs> no, we don't but like I fine assume. wines in this house. Hence, hence the metaphor. Yeah. Um. Or sorry, the simile. Yeah. I uh, that. That kind of relationship where it's very like okay, it's very like, consensual. It's very discussed explicitly. Or the um, uh, what is Dax? The trill. The trill. Yeah, yeah. I actually there are a couple of uh spe- like specific lines of dialogue that we actually do hear later in the context of the trill, which I kept noticing. Going, huh? I do, I'm, I don't know if they actually went back to this, but the word symbiosis appears in this episode a bunch of times. So, I mean, in a very vague way. So how disrespectful is this episode to our commish that it doesn't even give her the screen time of A, having her death scene, B, having the conversation with the glow worm, or C, having that kind of metamorphosis moment. Essentially, she goes into that weird modernist hut in the middle of planet nowhere and comes out a beautiful sparkly possessed monster by the way you never talked about her outfit oh it was green <laughs> i liked it i actually really liked her i liked the like cover. what is there to say about it it was like a green day dress that would probably you would see on kate middleton one you of these were, days you, were you not watching the remastered version this time I don't know. Because the fabric was actually kind of like blue and green cloud pattern. Her it was really interesting. scarf is actually the same colors as the companion. Yes, which yeah. I did notice when she is the, at the end when she's yeah. the joint of them and she's holding it up over her face and like getting the perspe- yeah. her old perspective yeah. out through the... Which was very interesting. That was a good yeah. um, thing. But what this reminded me of, of her having no voice and no say in the events was the um, going back to the who mourns for the yeah. Greek people... In that 
the female guest star in that also had no say. We never got to hear her opinion on what was going yeah, we on. We just get it fait accompli, she agrees. Yeah. But, yeah. She, I mean, she was the one who was going off and having to, like, bang the guy for science or whatever. But yeah. you never get to hear her side or her emotions or her feelings about anything. And that's the same thing in this. And it's just a complete dismissal of women as people. It also makes no sense because earlier on, they ask the companion if they can cure her. And it says, nope, can't do that. And then we turn around at the last second, and when she wants to bone Zeph from Cochran, suddenly it's possible. <laughs> suddenly all things are possible. <laughs> but it cured him of, like, old age. Yeah, surely that's more, at least as involved, like, complete systemic shutdown, old age, like the things that kill you when you're old. Surely that's more involved than a disease that you've only had for, like, two days. Sing it with me. Bad writing. <laughs> uh, I refuse. <laughs> so he essentially walks up and says, oh, you're hot. Yeah. She's like, hmm, let's let's take a walk and feel the heat. Ugh. Fuck you, Zephram Cochran. You heard it here first. Yeah. So essentially they sit around playing matchmaker, going, oh, didn't we do a cute thing? They're so nice together. Yeah. It's not Because good. again, we get nothing to, to make us care about her before it happens. Yeah, and this is where uh, the commission then says, Now I'll know love. Oh. Fuck you, show. Uh, and then my notes say basically, Everything will work out. Show me the world, Zephram. <laughs> yeah, the crappy purple world we can never leave. Yes. And Dude. then they got on their magic carpet and saying, I can show you the world and flew off. No, they All didn't. Care. They didn't because they can never leave. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can only go on day trips. There's a great moment where finally, like, the ship gets him and her says, It's the captain. Like, really, really excited. And Sc- Scotty takes this long pause. Like, I could just drive away. <laughs> and be captain forever. At this point, I would be on board for that. Oh, you know what? He'd get super bored if he couldn't play with his engines all the time. And, well, he could He could do both. Get get yourself a man who could do both. Um, or a captain who could do both. Actually, that would be quite useful. Yeah. Anyways, he's like, pause... Put him on. <laughs> yeah, they they have an awful conversation where she's like, I can't leave. I have to be here. You have to be free. No, I love you. No, I don't love you. It's not because I feel bad, but I really love you. So we're going to stay together forever. Yes, a revelation he comes to over about 20 seconds. Well, as soon as he sees her boobs and he's like, yeah. oh, I could have full-time access to this? All right. All right. You know what? Hanging out with one lady who is half glow cloud <laughs> is not going to solve your loneliness problem, Zephram. Well, they're no. going to grow old together. It's not going to well, solve your loneliness problem, Zephram. This is more Zephram. gender essentialist nonsense. Also, capitalism. Thanks, guys. Like, this whole thing where you have to find your entire fulfillment in one other person, which is, by the way, why the West is so unhappy. But, like... <laughs> I don't think that's the core root of things. Well, no. This- he says explicitly it's not gratitude now that i can see her and touch her i love her can i say just repeat a a reprise of my earlier (laughs) that is fair then to add insult Mm. to injury zephyr's like don't don't let anyone hear about this me shacking up with my glow cloud and they're like yeah yeah, keep it up down and then they're like Bones is like, wait, isn't there that war that she's supposed to prevent? And Kirk's like, eh, they'll find another woman to replace her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Women are replaceable. One is much like She loses her life, her freedom, and her life's work. Her entire life's work is erased. And, like, 
Zephram Cochran's like, bye, don't come back with books or anything. No. Or a movie. This is a terrible episode. <laughs> yeah. This is insulting I, on a number of levels. Yeah, on the whole, I prefer Zephram Cochran version 1.0 to this guy. <sighs> His jaw is not nearly as square, though. Nope. So worthless ladies around the table <laughs> even though your opinion means nothing we should just quickly gloss over it so we can get back to the man talking um lessons to be learned kim life lesson um probably everything you just said ladies are unimportant and are replaceable except no yeah that's my life lesson except no i'm gonna quote sophie Devereaux. never Put your faith in a man. <laughs> I have two life lessons for Ooh, this one. Okay. One of them is always get vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. That is. my Public service one, message. My second one is more heartfelt than that, is that romantic love is not the only means of having a fulfilling life. It's also not the only valid kind of love. Agreed. Agreed. I love this pen, and I'm okay with that fulfillment. Anyways, um, Kim, yeah. performance of the episode. No. <laughs> <laughs> Just for no one? No. Wow. So an abstaining vote from Kim, Ari? The glow cloud. <laughs> I am going to give it to Nancy Hedford, who played assistant, <laughs> assistant commissioner Eleanor Donahue, if only because she had to put up with all of that. Yeah. And somehow didn't strangle anyone. Is it weird to say that I feel bad that she didn't even really get to die and get away from that crappy asteroid? Yes. I feel like this whole episode cheated her. And cheated the actress and cheated the character. And Gene Kuhn has much... I think he's dead, though. I'm pretty sure. When I go back in time with my time machine, Gene Kuhn will have a lot to answer for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kim, your count. Um... Almost one person died. <laughs> and again, debatable. Maybe. I'm saying she's dead. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the text that the glow cloud possessed her moments before death. And kept her there. Yeah. So that it was adjoining. So it's even worse than just being alive, like immortal and stuck on this crappy planet. You're immortal, alive, stuck on the planet, not in control of your own body. Yeah. The, the text Watching your said, own body bone a jerk. Yeah. I mean, the text said that they became one. I'm choosing to believe that that means that it was an... One. Yeah. That it was an actual symbiosis. But, uh... Yeah. Anyways, uh, are you count? <laughs> two and two. Uh, uh, there is two ladies, two ladies, two people of color. I... The two ladies are our guest star and Uhura. Oh, yeah. And the right. two people of color are Uhura and Sulu. That's right. I was going to say, we also said, there are three ladies, but no, we decided the yeah. glow cloud doesn't have a gender. Because <laughs> no. it's does a not cloud. A it's a glow cloud. You cannot enforce pronouns on someone that they don't want, guys. Another... You, would, you would think by the 23rd century they would have fucking gotten that down. Another good life lesson yeah. from this episode. Mm.